0: Conquering Church here this morning, Luke the 11th chapter, Luke the 11th chapter verses 21 through 23 and then there's going to be about four different passages of scripture, we're going to go to Romans 13 after that and then 2nd Corinthians 10 and then Ephesians 6, but they'll all be coming up behind me so you don't have to worry about using your Bible and learning how to use it properly and knowing where all the books are since you can just read it off the screen behind us, Correct. Correct. Luke 11, chapter 21 through 23. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusteth and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. Romans 13, 12 through 14 the night is forespent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. And then verse 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you're baptized in Jesus' name. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Ephesians six, ten through 17 Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day, and having done all to stand." Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. All right, Lord bless you. May be seated. And Matthew 11 and 12, that won't come up, but Matthew 11 and 12 says this, "...and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force." Now, Jesus did not call His disciples soldiers or warriors. And He did not attempt to establish His kingdom by the force of war." Jesus answered and said this, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. He did, however, describe the power of his kingdom as an unstoppable force in the earth and the world to come. He said, And I say unto you, or unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, in Matthew 16 and 18. The kingdom of God involves an invasion of truth and light. It's not an invasion of troops. It's an invasion of truth and light. Now, truth and light, uh, you know, the, the Bible speaks of light and also of salt, and if you take the, the Bible says that we, the church, is the salt of the earth. Salt and light are invasive in as much as they penetrate everything they touch. If you, if, you, uh, if you take salt and you put it on meat, you, you preserve meat with salt. Uh, you pre- preserve hides, furs, and so forth with salt because it's invasive it gets into it and that's why the church is recognized as being salt and light light of course penetrates darkness it pushes darkness away you know light is the is, you know darkness actually is the absence of light so light when light comes in it pushes darkness away and and so in his commentary matthew henry states he said the kingdom of heaven because I read to you in Matthew 11 and 12 a minute ago where it says that the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Matthew Henry said this, The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, or in the original language, or like the violent, and this is what it's saying, like the violence of an army taking a city by storm or a crowd bursting into a house so that the violent take it by force. Old Testament prophets prophesied concerning the kingdom of Jesus Christ. For instance, Daniel... He characterized the kingdom as a huge stone that would crush... The, the, uh, the kingdoms or the kingdoms of the world. John the Baptist came preaching in the spirit and the power of Elijah, declaring that the Messiah and his powerful message shocked that generation. You can see it in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. It'll come up behind me. He opened the door to a kingdom not from this world, but with authority over the entire world. See, the Lord's kingdom was not of this world, but it had authority over. The entire world. Completely different and contrary to the beliefs that was held in that day about how a kingdom should be established. The Messiah's kingdom is still available today. And let me, let me, let me give you something that you don't hear very often, and I, I, I'm, I'm a strong believer in this. If you want to get into the kingdom of God, you have to be aggressive. You can't just... Float your way into the kingdom. You have to be aggressive. Salvation is free. But you have to want it. You have to desire it. You have to go for it. You can't just be passive. Serving God is not something that's just for uh, for the passive. You have to live for God. Understand God. Study God. You have to do what the the, the Word of God tells you to do. And it's completely contrary to our carnal, fleshly desires. My flesh, I've said it before and everybody laughs, but everybody in here will agree with me. Now, I'm being a little bit over the top here, but normally I am. My flesh, your flesh, uh, we're all pagan by nature. We want to build a big fire and dance naked around it. Okay, you just go ahead and back here and laugh. It's a truth, and you know it. You see, all you were hiding behind, you said, oh, not me. Without God in your heart, it's exactly what you would be. Woo! For those of you who don't have God in your heart, just have to forgive me, because I'm, I know I'm talking right where you live. You all desire to dance naked around the fire. You know, you like to, you like to get your, your roast buffalo right off the fire and eat it and have blood drain down your chin. Huh? He said, "You're being a little bit over the top." But listen, you think I'm a little bit over the top, but you look at some of the things you enjoy watching on television and the movies. That's our nature. That's the carnal nature. When God comes in, that's why it takes aggressiveness to pull out of that nature. It takes us being aggressive to pull away from the pull of the flesh. The flesh wants you to do everything different and contrary to the spirit. The natural man, the Bible says, careth not for the things of God, because they're spiritually discerned. And so because of that spiritual discernment, I have to have the spirit of God in me to lead me and to guide me into all truth, to take me away from those carnal desires. So this is what it takes for me. I have to be aggressive. Now let's let's take this one step further. Uh, we're talking about, the Bible speaks a lot about uh, good soldiers. And of course, we, uh, in the uh, time that we're living right now with the war going on and so forth, it's, uh, it, it's interesting because it, it, there's a lot of things that are just the same when it comes to being a soldier as it was back in Paul's day. It's not all that different. Soldiers still have a difficult time. And one of the things that a soldier has to do is endure hardness. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier and 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul used the commonly known image of a soldier to good advantage to instruct Timothy, his son, in the gospel. Paul expected Timothy to dedicate himself at all costs to the cause of propagating the, the truth that he had committed to him. Paul knew that a soldier often must endure severe deprivation in the execution of his duties. He may have to suffer separation from family and friends and exposure to cold and heat and storms, living on meager rations, fatigue, injury and battle, if soldiers are willing to endure and even die for their nation, then surely we as God's people should be willing to endure and die for the cause in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's why he used this as an analogy. If we are good soldiers for the kingdom of God, we should do and endure the same thing that a soldier does for his country, if not more so. It's our obligation to be that way. You know, the military trains soldiers to take orders, and they have to from their commanders. And, and, and when they take orders from a commander, they have to act immediately, as they are told, without question, even if it involves danger or possible death. Some believers have tried to negotiate the minefield of Christian service without training and without dedication. And when you don't have the dedication and the training, then you are definitely walking on a minefield. I, I, you know, such simple things. And I, I know I have had people get a little upset sometimes when you, you say, well, you know, you have a new person that comes in and they want to they sing in the choir. And, and I say, well, you, you, you need to set for a while. And it's not just a matter of them getting the standards right. It's a matter of knowing that when you get up here, that all of a sudden there is a target painted on your back by the devil. And when you begin to sing, when you begin to preach, when you begin to teach, then you have that target on your back. And if you're not prepared and dedicated and trained to understand that, then as soon as you start doing it, you feel good, you feel the Holy Ghost, you feel anointing, and you step off the platform and some devil jumps right on top of you. And if you're not prepared for that, it'll kill you. After preaching for 26 years now, I think 26, 27, came can remember. I still have devils jump on top of me. The only difference is that I ignore them. I, you know, I ignore them. I go home and try to pray through it. It may take me a while. I still have things that I deal with and that bother me. But I learn how sometimes it's just better to keep your mouth shut and go deal with it until you get the answer. Instead of just turning around, because sometimes, folks, those devils, take the uh, they look a whole lot like the person sitting next to you. And you've got to remember, it's not that person sitting next to you that you're dealing with. It's a spiritual battle. The weapons of our warfare are warfare, not carnal, but mighty through God. Because you're dealing against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And that person next to you is not your enemy. It's the, it's the thing that's using that person. And you know we can have the most noble way of saying things. Now, you know you just got to be careful doing this or be careful doing that. Or I've got to do this and God's called me to do that. And you say the wrong thing to the wrong person. God told me to tell you that in just three days you're going to be stuck struck down with rods. <clears throat> that's for those of you that don't understand what an emerald is you don't need to understand i just said that so that you wouldn't understand what an is. you know and, and and you know you say that and then this person begins to go around thinking that everything bad is going to happen to them and before long the devil gets in and say that person is like i'm just giving you an over the top example to let you know that some of the simple things that you say to people you better be sure that you know they're from god rather than to cause that person because the devil can the devil can use you in such a way to cause that person to fail because you are just wanting to be heard not because God is using you in any way that's good preaching thank you Lord I'll, I'll take it from you now partial obedience is disobedience anybody want to argue with that I feel argumentative today partial obedience is disobedience now, if I tell Connie, I said, Connie, God told me, now, God, you understand I'm just using this. Okay. All right. For you to come up here and to wipe my shoes off. And, and she comes only halfway and looks at me. Is that partial obedience or is that disobedience? It's the same. Isn't it? Partial obedience is disobedience. So she didn't do it. She stood there. She only came halfway. Now, again, over the top example. But it's the same way with anything that God asks you to do. Has God ever asked you, because we're talking about it, has God ever asked anybody in here just to endure? Raise your hands. Nothing special, just endure. And never told you that you had anything at the end of the endurance. He speaks to you and he says, all right, Doug Sims, I want you to endure, is it Cooks or Boston? Well, okay, back when it was, Cooks. I want you to endure Cooks for how long? Nine months. Endure nine months. Time of a pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, now I stop and think about it Tell a woman has to endure nine months. And then she brings forth, but after the Bible says it, after she, all this that she's endured, the pain of childbirth, after that, that child is born, she forgets all of it because she's got a child. And it's the, same way, it's the same way with anything that we do. A lot of times we have to endure things. We have to endure things. We don't have any reason. There's no reason that God gives me for why. It's just that I'm going through this difficult time. I endure it. But at the end of that endurance, it's the same way with, with, with on the battlefield. There are things that, that you're told in training that you don't have a clue. Why in the world am I supposed to do this? It's a fact that you just do it because you're told to do it. And you endure it. You know, the, those of you that have been in and you remember your basic training and you remember some of the things you had to do and it seemed so stupid, you know, at the middle of a cycle, you had to, you had so, so many of the tests, and a lot of you remember that you had to do. And in, in the uh, about four weeks into the cycle, of the 8 we basic, and and if you could pass those tests, and at the end of the cycle, you didn't have to take that particular test again. You had that over with. At least that's the way they did with us. And and uh, you know, one of those is you had. I can't even imagine how to do that now. My stomach wouldn't even clear some of those things I had to crawl under. Uh, and we had to crawl under on your back, crawl underneath some barbed wire. It's a whole bunch of it. And at, at the end of the barbed wire, <laughs> it had fallen down. And the guy next in the next lane, he had to go under it, but I had to go over it. Well, guess what happened? He started pushing up. At the time, I was going over it, so it pulled that barbed wire into my back. And I was so intense. I want to pass this. I've got one strand of barbed wire to get through so I can pass this. So he pulled it in, and you know I just gritted my teeth and kept going because I wanted to get through that so I didn't have to do it again. Do you understand what God does to us sometimes? Sometimes we have to just grit our teeth and go through it so that we don't have to go through it again. You will go through your wilderness. You will go through your test and you will go through your trials. And you might as well pass it the first time rather than just give up and then decide that, well, later on I'll try it again. Why not just get through it? Why not just get through it and endure it? So partial... Obedience is disobedience. God demands total obedience. King Saul tried to substitute sacrifice for obedience. But God would not accept the substitute. In first Samuel fifteen twenty two. You know, Paul, or Saul rather, he he just, you know, he said, Well, okay, I'll I'll offer this sacrifice. Because I brought Agag back. He wasn't supposed to, he was supposed to kill them all. I brought Agag back, and so, so this, this should satisfy God. I'll offer all this, all these, these cattle, these oxen and the sheep, and Agag and all of them, I'll offer them to God. But it wasn't enough. He suffered because he was told to do a certain thing. It wasn't a matter of sacrifice to God. It was a matter of being obedient. Jesus told the story of two sons. It's going to come up behind me, Matthew twenty one twenty eight through 32. He told the story about two sons. Who were given orders by their father And one of the boys substituted words For obedience Okay let me go back to the beginning of that would you please Because I like that story But what think you A certain man had two sons and he came to the first And he said son go work a day in my vineyard And he answered and said I will not Sounds like kid doesn't it But afterward he repented And went and he came to the second And he said likewise and he answered and said I go sir And went not Go on Whether them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him, The first Jesus saith, and then verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in a way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. So he's saying the people who do... You know, you can be so righteous sometimes and so religious that you fail to do what God has told you to do. And you know, it's the people who don't have anything. All they have got is God. The only hope they have is Jesus Christ. And they're the ones that act and are obedient. And that's what he was speaking of here. It's a matter of the people. Even though they may sit and laugh and say, I can't do it, eventually God gets a hold of them. And when He does, they go all the way. They listen to Him. They're obedient. It's not a partial obedience. It is a total obedience and this is what he was speaking of in this sense his words were not accepted in uh, in in his parable of the talents in Matthew 25:14 and 30, Jesus told about a one talent man who tried to substitute excuses for obedience, and he was judged unacceptable. There is no tolerance for disobedience. There is no substitute for complete obedience. And Revelations 2:10 it says, "Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast away some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days." Be be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. When a soldier is called up for active duty, he recognizes that engaging the enemy may result in casualties. His focus, however, should not be on the possibility of death, but on the mission at hand. There is no reward for the half committed or the faint of heart. Those who leave the battle in fear or because of other distractions lose their reward. The opportunity to defend a cause greater than themselves. And that's the whole point. It's the opportunity to work in something bigger than ourselves. This is bigger than any world economic problems. This is bigger than any greenhouse gas emissions. This is bigger than all the things that people try to come up with so that they can have a cause to operate in. The cause that we have is the cause of Jesus Christ. It is the opportunity. Oh, listen to me. Undoubtedly the best, the greatest, the only cause that there is in this world, in this universe. It is seeing people come to the kingdom of God. It is the ability for you to live for God and to make it when the rapture occurs. That is the greatest thing that you can possibly do. Regardless of how much you have to endure, how many hardships you have, the greatest cause you have this day is the cause of Jesus. I've got to make it to heaven, my My family's got to make it to heaven. My children have got to make it to heaven. Everybody I deal with and talk to, I look at them in the case that they're a soul. And if I don't say something, do something, act a certain way around them and get them turned the right direction, then what hope do they have? I have got the greatest cause that there is. It is the cause of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Yeah, you know, living successfully for Jesus Christ is an endurance contest. Take my grandkids and we have breath holding contest. Now after preaching so many years, you get really great lung capacity. You know, I can. When I was diving, I could hold my breath for two minutes. You know, some could do better than that, but still, you know, two minutes. I still go about a minute and a half. And uh, you know, you all right, boys. Of course, I don't tell them the key to how you hold your breath. You hyperventilate and get all that oxygen built into your brain. I just tell them take a deep breath and hold it. While they're doing that, I'm hyperventilating. I take in so much oxygen I get dizzy. <laughs> I hold my breath, you know, and they're over there looking at me and their eyes are bugging out, you know <laughs> They're trying to do it and they're never ever, ever able to beat me. Now Samuel thinks he's he's a great wrestler and so can you imagine he's he weighs about fifty pounds. He's wrestling me, two hundred and fifty pounds. He tries to pull these moves on me, you know. <laughs> the greatest thing is for them to, you know, to, to, get, to get me. But, you know, it, when it comes to endurance, it comes to endurance, sometimes it's being prepared to endure. It is an endurance contest. It is. Well, you know, the, the Bible tells us, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. So, so I, it is an endurance contest. It's, it's a matter of, uh, you know. Even Paul said this. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love His appearing. So it is. You know, I fought a good fight. I've endured. But you have to be prepared. You have to understand that in order for me to endure, there are certain things I have to do. Why? Why is it that the preachers and and we you know we we push prayer, we push we push fasting. We we have fasting in the church. We have prayer in the church. We we tell you to come to church because you're preparing. You're hyperventilating if you would. You're getting everything in. It's like the Holy Ghost. You know, you, you hyperventilate, get all that air. You, you saturate your, your blood supply and your brain with as much oxygen as you can. Then you, then you go down and you, and you stay down as long as you possibly can. That, that's why, and it's the same way when you hyperventilate you're overdoing, if you would, if you could. You're overdoing it in prayer. You're overdoing it in church attendance. You're overdoing it in, in worship. Why? Because I've got to go out there and hold my breath for the next week. You understand what I'm saying? So you saturate yourself on Wednesdays. You, you saturate yourself on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. Because I've got to go out there and I've got to endure what this world is going to throw at me. You know, the final testimony of the saints in glory will be that there were, they were overcomers who were faithful unto death. When counting the cost, they believed... They believed the cause was greater than the cost. And, and the Bible says in, in Revelation 12:11, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. The next point is to remain focused. In Paul's epistle, he used the word together 39 times. In 14 epistles, he used the word uh, together 39 times. The word appears eight times in the general epistles and in the book of Revelation. God intends for us to have unity. We are connected by the common cause of the gospel, by the blood of the atonement, by the name of the Savior, and by the Spirit of our God. The military trains soldiers to fight as a unit, with everyone functioning like a well-oiled machine, and with the same plan and purpose, because that's what we need to do, have the same plan and purpose. Everybody, you know, when it comes to, to, to military, you know, they have units and special forces, all this that they, they do. But these men are specialized in particular areas. And when they get out and they go into battle of any kind or they go into a, into a mission, each one of them does what they do best. And if they do what they do best, then the whole thing works together because they have a common goal, a common purpose. It's the same way in the church. We do what we do best. And when you start, you start trying to function in other areas that you're not so good at and that really God has not called you, and then you begin to get frustrated because that's not your area. And you can cause problems as a result of that because you're not operating. You're not operating in what you function in the best. I wish we could understand that. I know that in, that, that in early, that's the early church, and I, I feel like the church is starting to come through or has been actually coming through a, a transition for some time. When I say church, I'm talking about the church as a whole, um, all the church in the world. But we're, we're coming in the United Pentecostal Church where people are functioning in what they know best instead of just one or two people doing everything. And, you know, other people out there that have gifts that have talents that have callings are, are not able to operate because of, of certain areas. You know, we, we're trained. And even some Bible schools used to say that if the pastor and the pastor's wife couldn't do it all, then it shouldn't be done. I, I know that for a fact. That's been years and years ago. That's how they used to say that. And, and that's not the case because then you're not operating as a unit. And the unit is what gets it done. The church can function only as a unit operates. And operates together. And if you're not sure, then you need to try and look at some areas. And don't be frustrated because you can't find it immediately. It's there. And some areas, it just feels good. Maybe you you can't operate quite as well in them. Well, you learn in that area. That's why we do what we do. And that's why we try to do it the best we possibly can. You know, the gifts of the Spirit all work together to edify the body of Christ. They function in love. And they do not compete uh, and when I say compete, they don't compete for recognition. 1 Corinthians 13, one through 8 tells us about that. Further, Jesus Christ gave the five gifts of ministry to his church to equip believers for edification, Ephesians 4 and 11. He gave to the church apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. They do not compete, but they complement one another in accomplishing the work of God. It is impossible to be on the field of battle, fighting a war, and also taking care of the daily necessities at home. There are problems of distance from home and to the battlefield and the distractions of, of dealing with the enemy. We cannot think effectively about, about both of them at the same time. It can't happen. The soldier in battle has to trust the details to somebody that's home. And, and that's why that, those of you that have had anybody in, in, in overseas, you understand there's a lot you have to do for the family uh, and at home. You know, the people a lot of times at home are overlooked because they're the ones trying to keep everything together. They don't want the soldier overseas to be worried about their family. They don't want that to happen. And what did God tell us? You know, Jesus warned his disciples. He said, therefore, he said, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, for this reason, Jesus taught his disciples not to spend excess energy worrying about the necessities of life. Food, clothing, shelter. While we're distracted with worry over the things God has promised to supply, the enemy has the opportunity to slip by us and take advantage of our distraction. We either trust God to supply or we do not trust him. And that is difficult. That's easy to say. But it's difficult to do because we're taught to worry about these things. But yet the Bible says not to worry. If we are doing kingdom work, then we shouldn't have to worry about it. You just got to be sure that your motive is correct. You got to be sure you're doing all this for the right reason, and not just a way of getting out and getting away. And, and you know and I, you know I've, <laughs> through the years you see people who decide they want to be evangelists because they don't want to work. Or let me take it one step further. Oh, they want to pastor a church. They go out and start a church. I know one particular guy years and years ago that started the church not too far from here, and he was mad because nobody came to it because, you know, he just wanted to be a full-time pastor all the time. He started church within about a mile and a half of another church. So, you know, he wanted to do this simply because he didn't want to have to to work. He wanted to be a full-time pastor. Now, all this is good. All this is fine if you got... Thr- it's like this. It's like going and starting a church, UPC Church in Bloomington. When you could go out to the Pacific Northwest and go for 500 miles and not see a church. Now, what's the motive here? I know I'm, I'm being extreme in some areas, but I'm just saying when you have got your motives correct, God will supply, He will take care of you. I'm not saying you won't have to endure hardships. I'm saying that there is some times that you just simply have to do and it can be more than just in pastors, evangelists, it could be in a lot of other areas. You know, I, I, I can't work this particular job because there's too many ungodly people. Since when does any place not have ungodly people? I can't work here, I can't work here because you know, because people are, are just they they, 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 they wear on my soul. Lord, the church wears on mine. and they're godly people (laughs) people are people no matter what that's just the way people are you're not going to be able to go up on a mountaintop somewhere and sit with your little guru outfit on it's not going to happen you've got to deal with people god put us in the midst of a world that needs us not so that we can escape and we all need our times away. God knows it's nice to be able to, to get away from it all. But, you know, no matter where you go, you're going, endure, <laughs> you're going to endure ungodly people. And I, you know, through the years, and I'm certainly not pointing fingers at anybody this morning. I don't mean that. And if you're sitting back there thinking I am, then you're off. I'm just talking about experience from seeing things happen. You know, people can't work this job. I've got to find me some place where everything works out good. Well, it's just not out there. It's just not out there. It's not going to happen. Uh, you're going to always have somebody who's going to weigh, weigh on your patience. I said I, I, I've told a story before. And I, I come to church on, this, I, I left drinking on Friday, come back to work on Monday full of the Holy Ghost, and I'd spend years cultivating people down on, at, um, Four Winds Marina to where I could stop by and drink on their boat. You know, oh, here comes the harbor master. Well, he said, By the time I got off in the evening, I was in pretty good shape. <laughs> you know? And so all of a sudden I come back with the Holy Ghost on Monday, and now I've got all these people who are offering me drinks, and I have to tell them what happened to me. Isn't that great? You know, and the, be surprised at the amount of people. And this is what I never could understand. Yeah, there's always people that look at you and they little cross eye. We'll see how long this lasts, and they will they'll tempt you and try you. But by the most part, when they I went through my six months of trial down there, when they I found out that I wasn't going to back down, they respected me. If you're not getting respected at your job, it's probably because you're not doing something right. Mm-hmm. Mean preaching this morning, isn't it? It's because you're probably, you know, you're vacillating one way or the other. I remember one guy he was, he was trying to load a freezer on a barge. It's Tom Howard, that's who it was. And he, they were pushing. I was on the other end of it, they were pushing, and that, that barge was starting to push away from the dock, and I had this freezer on top of him. And I knew if I dropped the freezer, the freezer would push me down in the water, and it might be tough to get out from under it. And I, I, and I know good and well I didn't I said I said stop and I said it kind of sharply. And he jumps up and he said, You cussed. I said, I cussed, and he said, Yeah, you cuss. it was his way of trying me. I didn't cuss. But he was trying to make me think that I cussed after this again, I'd just been in church for a couple of weeks. And he's trying to make me think that I cussed just to try me. Has anybody ever had people do that to you? Oh yeah. 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 You know what? I enjoy them. Maybe say, well, that's self-righteousness. I enjoy not doing it simply because I, want to, I just like to make them eat crow. I didn't say I was perfect. I just said I'd like to know. i just like to make them think, see, I can do this and I don't have to cuss because I've got something greater inside of me. I mean, before long, you have people that begin to come to you and ask you about what you have because they know it's real. Moving on. The um, shortest distance between two points is a straight line. However, the spectrum of a, of a human life rarely, if ever, consists of only a straight line between two points. Every life encounters times when life veers away from the straight line and meanders through distant and unfamiliar points. One could call these times detours... Detours in life can be interesting, even exciting. The end result, however, can be costly. And and some detours in life are designed by God, while others are the result of the curiosity of the wandering human spirit. And sometimes those detours that we take away from the line that we should be traveling, you know, God, I, I will say, and I'll go back to that, there are times when God kind of puts us off in an eddy over here for a while. As We're going down the the channel, and there's a reason for that, but there's other times when we just want to see what's up that that particular canal, and so we just take off and we go up that way, And, and that can be costly if you're not careful. Now, Jesus had several opportunities to ascend to an earthly throne in a temporal kingdom, but he refused because his kingdom was not of this world. He set his face as a flint toward Jerusalem and the purpose for which he was born in Isaiah 50 and 7. Like a soldier and his need for his basic gear, we must never leave behind the basics of the Christian life. We are to be successful and effective as believers in Jesus Christ. We must settle in our minds whose kingdom we're advancing and not allow ourselves to be distracted by the enticements of the enemy of our soul, and you know, you stop and think about this. You know, you go in, you go back. Some of you that remember, you know, when you're in, you know, and especially, I, I think now it's a whole lot worse than the time I was in. You know, they 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 put these they put body armor on these guys. They put rucksacks that go from sixty to hundred pound. And you know, if you're you're out there and you need something, you want to be sure you got it because you don't have a chance to go to Walmart and buy it. So you need to have it. But on the other side of it, how much stuff do we carry that we don't really need? How much do we, we carry? I, if I'm If I'm in a battle, I want to be sure that I've got everything I need. But on the other side, I don't want to carry more than I need. I want to be sure I have just enough. Now... You know, when you, you know, the Bible says lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So, you know, we, we look, we look at this and, and I, I want to lay aside these weights, but on the other side of it, I got to be sure I don't lay aside something I need. And you see, that's what a lot of churches are doing right now. They're not carrying with them what they need. They're laying aside some tried and true holiness standards that they should never have gotten rid of. I, uh, Pentecostal people have to have. Now, I, I, I'm just talking, I'm talking here out of just what I feel like, feel like was revelation. Because we have got the Holy Ghost, God's Spirit inside of us, there's a sense of the eternal that's always in us. Resurrection power, the power to show us things to come, uh, you know, all that that takes to get us there. But it is still that sense of the eternal that's there. I'm gonna I'm gonna present something to you, and if you don't agree with me, that's fine because you'll be wrong, I'm right. It's not a biblical thing, it's just a Robertson thing, okay? And that is because of that sense of the eternal in us, we're always looking to feed that, which is what we should do. But sometimes the carnal nature gets a hold of us, and we think that what we need to feed in the Holy Ghost, we do it in a carnal way, which does nothing but weaken us, such as, Case in point, I've talked about this a lot. And, and, again, things are a whole lot better than they used to be. But, you know, you get some super preacher out there, and every time he comes around, everybody misses their church to go hear super preacher because they want to be fed. Now, on the other side of that, I mean, we've done it here. I've had people here, and you said people come in on Sunday night that should be at their own church. And you say, well, I need to feed that, but I need to feed my, my soul. My soul needs to be fed. Yes, well, i need to be fed. But how about the person that was at your church that you could have dealt with that night that you were out getting your soul fed. Do you understand what I'm saying? What does it take to feed us? We are such, such babies, you know, like baby birds standing there with our mouths open all the time waiting for a mama bird to drop in a worm. When in reality, what really will sustain us is how much that we can do and building where we, where we need to be or blooming or, again, where you're, where you're planted. We're always out there looking and looking. And so, so on one side of that, we, we see this. On the other side of it, we, we also see that because we've got that sense of the eternal, there's a sense of unrest in us. And that's normal too because because what you have in the Holy Ghost is, is spiritual. It is, it is eternal. There's a part of you that's always looking for heaven. That builds a sense of unrest. If, you're, if you really got the goods, you will have that unrest in you. I feel it more. And the older you get, the more you feel that unrest. Now, with age and time living for God, you begin to be able to channel this and understand what's happening to you. But as you're younger in the Lord, you don't necessarily always understand what you're feeling. So you begin to wander around or you begin to think, uh, to fulfill that unrest that you have, you begin to think, well, maybe you know, maybe this group over here has got something more. So that's the reason people go to some of these, these, these offshoot uh, groups that are off the wall. They're looking for something more. You've got the best that there is when it comes to salvation. You have nothing better in salvation. We may be able to grow and always will be able to grow in God and understand more. But you can't find anything better in salvation than what you have in the Holy Ghost. But because of that unrest, because of that eternal part of you, the uh, eternal part that's in you, then you, you begin to look for something to fulfill. The only way to fulfill that is for you to give out, not to take in. It's giving out. You will never ever be able, and it's not a matter of coming up here behind a platform and preaching. It's a matter of giving out to people and not just, and and the world, of course, we need to give to them. But it's more than just that. It's giving out to, to family, it's giving out to the person sitting next to you, it's being able to discern the need. That's around you. And being able to speak that word at the right time. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. You know, it's being able to speak that word and to give to the Holy Ghost. Because that eternal part of you, oh, it's just that unrest. It's wanting to give to others. It's wanting to help others. But sometimes we make that mistake of thinking we need to get instead of give. Next week we're going to talk about the giving church. And so, so it's, it's vital to understand that, because I see that sense of unrest, and I, I see again, I see it in me. I, so I know there's a, there's a part of me that knows that I can go higher, and I, but I've got a lower ceiling right now, and for some I've had a lower ceiling for some reason. But, uh, and I, I don't have to always understand anything. I just have to keep looking and desiring and hungering and, and not laying aside the things that I already know that I need to keep. You know, I don't lay aside the, 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 the basic necessities. My rucksack is, is if it weighs 100 pounds, I'm going to carry 100 pounds right now because I need everything I've got. And I don't need to add some things back there that's just going to weigh me down that I don't need. And going around trying to find a, another alternative to what I already have is wrong. Did you get that? Was I'm just crazy? Okay because I'm just talking in the Holy Ghost there that's just just really how I feel and I see it so much John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress the main character, Christian was besieged by distractions of every kind Um, for the believer the most attractive temptations are often the ones that offer to shorten the journey or to save cost it appeals to the flesh readily because the flesh is basically lazy anybody want to agree with that? This flesh this morning did not want to get up at 7 o'clock. I laid there and I thought, you know, I can stretch this out to 7.15. Stretch this out to 7.30. My wife started this feeding the children program downstairs. And, of course, I'm involved. No, no cooking for this guy. That's yours. Uh, We want to feed them Apple no banana pie next week. So just be sure and you bring nine o'clock downstairs. I'll meet you. We'll we'll slice it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, you know you, you you it's easy for the flesh to just get distracted because you know you you don't get up on Sunday. Sunday's supposed to be a day of rest, isn't it? We know it's not Sabbath, but I'm just saying it's a day of rest. But it's spiritual rest. That's the day that you give out spiritually. That's how you rest. That's what Sunday's all about. And, and you receive and you give at the same time. But, you know, you get out, and it's just a part of the flesh that we just, we just don't want to. It's lazy. However, there's, a, there's no shortcuts in the development of character. Character's developed in the mundane duties of life by consistently making the right choices. you realize that? It's the mundane that develops a person. You know, one of the best developments I, I ever have... It's when I preach my best and nothing happens. You know, I come in prepared, I've prayed, I've fasted, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, and I come in here and preach, and there should be ten people receive the Holy Ghost that night. I'm not ready for a hundred yet because we can't keep them all. So let's just say ten. When the rest of you get there, then we, we can do better. But nothing happens. So that lets me know that, you know, what do you do from there? Just give it up and chuck it in, quit? Because it doesn't work? No, that means that I'm going to better myself even more. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. And sometimes, sometimes it's not a matter of just how much you pray and how much you fast and how much you study. Sometimes it's just a matter of you don't know what's going on out in the congregation. I've had, I've had situations occur when I knew something should have happened and I felt so bad. And then two weeks later, have someone come up to me and say, You remember that night you preached so and so and said this? Oh, yeah, well, this is what happened for me. So something did happen. You don't always get the feedback that you should get as a preacher. Sometimes you don't get the feedback. But you, know, you realize that there is something that God is doing that you don't necessarily have to always be aware of everything that God does. I'm working for the kingdom. I'm working for the kingdom, and God will take what I do. If I do and give God my best and my best dedication to him, then if I do it and do it the right way in the right spirit, God is bound, bound by his word. His word can't return unto him void. But it will accomplish that that it was sent forth to do. It will do what it's supposed to do. Now the source, well, let's, just, let's, just, let's go back just a moment. In the heat of battle, we're exposed to death and all of its raw reality. Now, this is, this is where we find out whether we have developed the character to instantly and instinctively make the right decision. Because if you don't have some bad times, when the heat of battle really kicks in, you're not, you, you might make some wrong decisions. I've got to make right decisions in the heat of battle. I told somebody this morning, I was talking, I said, some of the best things that I do when I, I, I this, is, this is what I've learned. And some of you may, maybe you want to do this. Rather than be, say something that you're going to regret. When something irritates you, the best thing to do is to walk away and pray about it for about a week. Then address it. And a lot of times by then you don't have to address it at all because God's already taken care of it. It's when you act immediately in the heat. And you say the wrong thing. That's when you have to go back and fix it for years. Right. Right. You now, the source of disunity in a body of believers can often be found among those who are murmuring, complaining, and arguing with authorities. And often the, the issues that are brought up are not the real problems. The root often involves one's difficult or difficulty of submitting to authority. One of the five major sins of Israel in the wilderness were murmuring, and the others were lust, idolatry, fornication, and tempting God. Paul warned believers to learn a lesson from the destruction suffered by Israel in the wilderness because of their sins. In 1 Corinthians 105 5-11. The lack of unity in a church can result in an inward focus that clouds the real purpose of the church. We must not allow ourselves to be distracted by petty issues that cause dissension and break the unity of the spirit in the church. People of the world around us often justify their behavior by what they see happening in the church. And when believers behave as ungodly people outside the church, we give them an opportunity to blaspheme the name of the Lord, according to Second Samuel twelve fourteen. If we're to be the light of the world in a crooked, perverse generation, we must demonstrate the light of Jesus Christ. Now, the kind of weapons that are used in battle are determined by the factors of location, combatants, and timing. And and choosing the appropriate weapon for the battle often will determine the outcome. Paul the Apostle observed that we live in a natural realm of flesh and blood. And that our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God. So, it's easy to think that we can use weapons that affect flesh and blood. I just being probably the kind of personality of a person that I am I uh, going back to to the weapons issue that I remember the first time in basic and that just I I you know just, just overlooked me okay I'm just talking you know they they don't they don't have anymore they got I guess they still have some but it was the M60 machine gun and boy when they introduced me to that I fell in love with the M60 machine gun that weapon to me was everything that you would need, and I was naturally good with it, just because I was bigger. And and I remember the first time that they had this pond, and on the other side was a tank, and we had to shoot the tank. and so I just walked those bullets straight up to the tank, and I was I enjoyed it. When I got back out of basic, then I was I was saddled with it, and literally saddled with it. And the thing is heavy; it's you have to clean it. Uh, and what i 'm saying is this that sometimes the right weapon for the job is not always easy to use, but it 's still the right weapon and Of course, we know well, there 's defensive what we call defensive weapons, and there is the offensive weapons and, 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 I, and I realize that that in the offensive weapons we really you know we have the word of god the sword of the spirit and sometimes this thing can be a little unwieldy. And it takes a little work with it to learn how to use it properly. And uh, one other thing. You've got to be sure that you use it often and keep your mind clean because I've seen a lot of people. <laughs> I've heard it from the platform before, and I've probably have even done it. When they begin to, I was talking to Adam about this. When they begin to quote scriptures, and they get two or three scriptures combined, and they make one scripture out of it, it's not even in the Bible. But they make, you know, it's it's the, it's a matter of keeping the mind pure. And the only way to do it is to constantly put this thing in your heart. It's studying it. It's using it. It's working with it. Because not everything that seems good. And I, I remember Brother Balt making this statement when I first started. Uh, when I first started. Teaching Bible studies, and I was working, and I was younger, and could teach a lot of them. I was teaching five a week, and and working at the same time, and I never could understand why anybody else couldn't do the same thing I was doing. And uh, Brother Balt just insisted that he teach me the Bible study because I was teaching it, and I didn't know nothing, and uh, I didn't, <laughs> but I did it anyway. So he started he started teaching me, and and I and I remember a statement that he made that he said there is a whole lot more to this than just what you're teaching in home Bible studies. And that was... uh, You know, you go back and you realize what a a pastor, what a pastor can do for you. You may look at them. Now, some of you out there look at me and think, oh, you're behind the times and so forth. But one of these days when I'm gone, you may go back and quote some of the things that I said. Because there are some things that don't change. The Word of God is one of those things. It doesn't change. And you go back... And you, you realize there is a whole lot more to it. There's a way of living. There's a way of presentation. There's a way of loving. I've got a, I'm going to share that with the preachers tonight, my, my vision slash mission statement that I've had in my heart for a long time. Nothing big, but it's just something that, that I've always, it's been a part of me and I've never really written it down. But it's how I believe that we should reach the world. It's how we should treat people. Because there is a right and a wrong way. And I know that if you take this and you go to the Old Testament, you're going to be calling bears out of the woods to eat up every kid that gives you a hard time. You know, that's what happened to Elisha. Elisha, they were out laughing at him saying, you old bald head. And so what happens? A bunch of bears come out and eat the kids. And you know, we use that sometimes. Well, if that person messes with me, God will kill them. I'm not saying that God doesn't do that. I'm saying that you shouldn't want it to happen. <laughs> Bless them to curse you, pray for them to despitefully use you. There is a right way. There is a right way. So we need to be equipped, and we need to know what's going on. And this ungodly spiritual system is our enemy too. And sadly, many people, even some believers, have been convinced that their enemy is another human being. Our fellow man is not the enemy. And fortunately, we have an arsenal of spiritual weapons and armor especially designed. Now, this is a spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. Paul said our weapons are mighty through God and will destroy demonic strongholds, refute carnal arguments and philosophies, and and take captive all kinds of wrong thinking. It's essential that we take advantage of the weapons God has given us and learn to use them effectively. Uh, You you stop and think, An, an army should be an advancing army. Uh, it's just the scripture I read to you earlier in Matthew 16. Uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It should be that, that the enemy is trying to hold us out. Because you know, it's not a matter of us constantly defending ourselves. It's a matter of they should be defending against us. And a lot of what you deal with when you begin, that's the statement that I made earlier. That's why you've got to be trained to a certain degree before you come up here and you start doing anything. Because everything will come against you. And you begin to look and you think, well, they don't like me. These people are against me. It's not them. It's the devil that you're dealing with. And always remember that. It's not people. It's the devil. Now, I realize that some people entertain the devil a lot. And um, and sometimes it's difficult. But we, we need to understand that more now than ever before. Hell cannot repulse the onslaught of the church. We are armed with armor of light, Romans 13 and 12. We belong to the kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness. Cannot resist the invasion of light in John, uh, John 1 and 5 and Colossians 1 and 12. In the same way that David ran to meet Goliath on the battlefield, we can run toward the enemy and defeat him wherever we see him at work. Jesus gave the church the power to bind on earth whatever has already been bound in heaven and to loose on earth whatever has already been loosed in heaven. And an amplified actually tells it that way matthew 16 and 19 it says this i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind declared to be improper and unlawful on earth must be what is already bound in heaven and whatever you loose declared lawful on earth must be what is already loosed in heaven you we don't have the right to just go out indiscriminately and bind and loose we have to only bind what's already bound in heaven loose what is already loosed in heaven if you would look at that scripture in the original and see it that way, that gives that scripture much more meaning. If healing is loosed in heaven, then we can loose healing here. And it is, because the Bible says it is. You know, it, it, we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That by his stripes ye were healed. We have that right with knowing that, with knowing the uh, the language is that if that's loosed in heaven, then I can loose it here. If the devil is bound in heaven, then I can bind him here. I prefer it that way because I've heard people, I bind you, I I loose this and bind this. And they they don't even know what they were saying. They were just indiscriminately saying this and they get themselves in trouble because it doesn't work that way. It's whatever God has loosed, I have the right to loose. Whatever God has bound, I have the right to bind. And nothing more than that. That's why that you can lay hands. When a person understands that, you can lay hands on someone and they'll receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost if they truly repented. Because that's already been loosed. And I have the right to lay hands on them. The strong man in his palace that Jesus spoke about in Luke 11 illustrates the devil's stronghold in some individual's lives. The Lord is the stronger one who overthrew the strong man and took his armor and all of his goods. Believers should understand that the New Testament church does not operate on the premise of placating and negotiating or conceding to the enemy. We do not placate the devil. You ever heard someone say, you better not do that, you'll make the devil mad. Has anybody ever heard that? That is placating and conceding to the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we might make him mad, and yes, he might come against us. It's because you are just too weary or tired or lazy to fight him. And so you're conceding. So you don't have to worry about it. Has anybody in here ever... Now, just raise your hands and don't look around so no one will ever know that you raised your hands, all right? Um, has anyone in here ever decided to come to church and say, you know, you just, you don't really get into worship, and you want to, but you don't really get into it. But tonight, you decided to do it, and you did it. And the next day, oh, it was horrible. Hell was just coming at you, waves of, of, of waves of devils. I'm, I'm telling you, you, was driving home and devils were splattering on your windshield. Anybody ever had that happen? Raise your hand. On the rest of your line. And you see, that happened to you once, so guess what that did? I'm not going to do that again. Huh? I'm not going to get that messed up and stirred up, so guess what? You messed out on a blessing and the devil had you. He got you. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Because when you begin to worship, things begin to break down in your soul and your spirit. Things begin to open up inside of you. Your heart becomes open. And God can speak to you and deliver you and, and deal with you and put you in the place that he wants you to be into. But the devil would prefer keeping you right there, watching everybody else. How many has ever faced the biggest devil in your life It was the one you slept next to? <laughs> now, those of you who's got your husband or wife sitting next to you, don't raise your hands. <laughs> and you better not. Now, I won't tell Leslie what you told me the other day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> next to an angel. Oh, you sleep next to an angel. Don't you just hate people like that? <laughs> do you do you know that what I'm saying? And we laugh about it, but it sometimes you sometimes can feel that way. Anybody ever really be honest to say that? You felt that way before. She or he does not understand what I am. Huh? And you get mad at them and you gotta realize that the best thing you can do is just keep praying for them and that makes them worse. <laughs> and and you pray more and they get worse. And you pray more and they get worse, and you go through this for ten years. I, I'm not I'm not trying to Take all your hope away. But you've heard it said many times, and I've seen it many times, that that person that you know, whether saved or unsaved, but primarily I'm talking about the unsaved, that, that gets worse all the time. That eventually, eventually, God gets a hold of them because you continued. You didn't fight with them. You didn't feud with them. You didn't give them a hard time. You just endured sometimes our mission is simply that that's what i'm getting at your mission may be just that you know we keep looking at i'm going to go to i'm going to go to the philippines or i'm going to go to palau or i'm going to go to russia and i'm going to see 10,000 saved when god's called you to just keep praying for the one you sleep next to Then that that just takes away from... But if God called you to do that and you got that job done, do you realize that your reward would be just as great, if not greater, than the person who did have 10,000 receive the Holy Ghost under their ministry? Or to see your children saved? I'm not saying you can't do other things. I'm just saying that sometimes the primary mission can be something that simple. But yes, it can also be quite complex. Some of the most simple things that you see are not that simple. They just look simple from the outside. You're not the one living in it. But sometimes it's just that simple. We have to endure. And regardless of what our mission is, we have to endure in that mission. Lord bless you. Let's stand. Sorry, I'm about half done. Let's raise our hands to the Lord right now together and let's just thank Him. Jesus, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy. I pray, God, tonight that you would come down in this place, allow us, Lord, to worship and love you and to praise you with a desire in our heart to do so. Let us do it with a desire. God, I want to desire to lift you up this evening. I want to see great things happen. God, as we come together to pray this evening, let us pray Lord, for your will to be done in this service that souls can be saved, that people can be set free. I pray right now, God, in Jesus' name. Let's not forget prayer meetings at 5.30. And again, the ministers in my office at 5.30. Lord bless you.